the scripture tonight, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider me and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Dan Allender, the counselor and, and Christian psychologist, has written an essay on lament that uh, has become uh, quite well known. It's very helpful. And he, he begins this uh, essay with these words. He says, The worship leader mounted the platform. In a booming voice, he announced the hymn. He gazed intently into the audience, a smile crossed his face, and he exhorted, Sing like you mean it! There is no room in this church for sad faces when you're loved by the Lord. If you are a Christian, let me hear you sing! We began falteringly, and with his swinging arms, intense grin, and demanding eyes, he worked the crowd until the hymn was sung with, quote, conviction. I stumbled over the words of a great hymn, O safe to the rock that is higher than I, my soul in its conflicts and sorrows would fly. So sinful, so weary, thine, thine would be. Thou blessed rock of ages, I am hiding in thee. I wondered how many caught the disparity between what was sung and how we were singing it. I felt relief in acknowledging conflict, sorrow, sin, loneliness, tempest, enemies, woe, and trials. But we seemed to bounce over both the sorrow and hope with a mood of exuberant, smiling enthusiasm. Christians seldom sing in a minor key. We fear the somber. We seem to hold sorrow in low self-esteem. We seem predisposed to fear lament as a quick slide into doubt and despair, failing to see that doubt and despair are the dark soil that is necessary to grow confidence and joy. Well, this Lent, I want to explore with you what what it means to sing in a minor key. And we're going to study what lament looks like in the believer's life. Now, obviously, we are not supposed to lament all the time. Uh, We have much to celebrate. Our Lord has defeated death. He's taken our smaller stories and woven them into a greater story. We're part of the people of God. We have all the privileges of being in Christ. There's much to celebrate. But suffering and disappointment and loss are also a part of the Christian life. And I'm, I'm not sure that we know what to do with that as Christians. 
sometimes we do experience a gap between God's promises, what he promises in his word to do for us, his loving kindness, the way he says he will care for his kids, and the way we experience life. And what do you do when you're experiencing that gap? What do you do when you read, the Lord will give you the desires of your heart and you've been praying to conceive for years and it never happens? How do you live in that gap? How do you live when you feel like God has abandoned you spiritually, like he's no longer answering the phone? How do you move through suffering towards God. Well, one of the ways Scripture teaches us to do this is through lament. And a lament is a prayer of complaint that moves towards praise and trust. And you find lament prayers all through the Scripture. You find David, of course, lamenting in the Psalms. Uh, Over 50 of the 150 Psalms are Psalms of lament. Jeremiah laments. Job laments. Jesus laments. And so I thought it would be good this Lent to talk to you about lament and encourage you to write your own Psalm of lament. Now, this probably sounds strange to you. It's not something I've ever taught you about. Frankly, I've never preached a series on this, nor have I never heard a series preached on this. Uh, One book I read, the the writer uh, observed, he said, quote, the lament has completely or almost completely vanished from Christian prayer. And as Suzanne was praying, these aren't the psalms that we read in church anymore. We kind of uh, skip over them. So before we begin to look at this first psalm, I I thought I'd answer the question, uh, or attempt to, why? I mean, why not be positive? Isn't it better to be positive? Uh, And of course it's good to be positive. But I think there's, there's at least four reasons why we'll profit from learning to pray prayers of lament um, this Lent. First... The lament psalms can help us deal with unresolved loss. And the key word there is unresolved. If you're like me, you go through life, you you compound wounds and hurts and disappointments, you do your best to work through them, but sometimes you're not able to resolve them. And you get stuck on your journey towards God. Ken Cope, a counselor, puts it like this. He says... One of the main issues that's continued to surface in my work has to do with unresolved loss. We are taught that grieving is feeling sorry for yourself, that the real strength is not to show any emotion at all. Because we don't know how to be sad, we want to get to the end stage of grief. We want the benefits and results of healing, but we don't want to take the time to move through the often long and painful process of grief. As a result of this approach to grief, we have a whole generation of people with unresolved issues, hurts, and pains in their past that have been shallowly dealt with at best and at worst have been ignored and discounted completely. So, one reason for learning how to lament is to help you work through unresolved 
disappointments and losses. And you might ask yourself as you begin, um, do you have any? Do you have any disappointments in your life? Uh, Are you struggling to come to terms with some aspects of life that maybe you've just now started to think about? Second reason for learning how to lament is that the lament psalms give us a way of praying for others, as uh, was so powerfully shared with us a few moments ago. A lot of times it's hard to know what to do when you encounter someone who's really suffering or, or going in a way that you know is going to destroy them. The lament psalms provide you a, a prayer book, a, a model for praying for others. A third reason for, for praying the laments is they show us how to pray for injustice. And one of the things you might be led to do this lament is to write a prayer of lament for a particular injustice in our community or world. And then finally, the lament psalms show us how to lament communally. And, and I think Suzanne touched on this as well. There are a number of communal lament psalms in the Psalter. And these are psalms that the whole community of God would sing when their whole community was suffering or had gone through tragedy. And that's, again, not something American Christians understand much how to do. But our little body has and will go through tragedy together. And we need to have some kind of model, some kind of way to move through that tragedy towards God. Stephen Otis um, will be preaching one of the Lament Psalms on March 30th. He's a teacher at CAK, the Christian Academy of Knoxville. And uh, you may know that tragically, about a month ago, a a freshman uh, committed suicide there. And so Stephen, as one of the spiritual leaders in that community, has been has been trying to lead that community through a a corporate experience of lament. and It's been very challenging. He's going to share some of what he's been learning on, on the 30th. Psalm 13 is a classic example of a lament psalm. And in it, David laments in three movements. And these are three movements that you can work through in your own lament psalm and your own lament process. The first movement is protest. Verses 1 to 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now, we don't know exactly what prompted this in David's life, uh, but he's experiencing profound suffering. Four times he asks, how long is this going to go on? That's one of the problems with suffering, isn't it? it? It just seems like it never ends. It just seems like she's never going to get well. It seems like you're never going to feel good again. It seems like your mother is always going to have Alzheimer's. And so he asks, will this suffering never cease? 
one of the things that happens when we suffer as well is we be, begin to feel lonely and abandoned. And so God says that, or David says that. He says, have you forgotten me? And then in verse 2, we could actually translate it, how long must I bear pain in my soul and have sadness in my heart? Now for the ancient Hebrew writers, the, the soul and the heart or the center of the personality. So David's not talking about a bad mood here. He's not talking about having a bad day. He is talking about a psychic pain and an aching sadness that permeate his whole psychology, his whole makeup, for a never, what seems to him to be a never-ending period. Today we might call that uh, depression. He is, he is in deep suffering here. And then he mentions that as well, his enemies are exalted over him. Perhaps King Saul was chasing him at this point. He feels betrayed by someone who loved him. He feels hunted. He feels cut off. And so he just puts it all out there and protests, complains. Raw, unfiltered, edgy language. And I'll warn you right now, we've asked some people each week to write laments. And some of the things that they're going to say are going to be pretty raw. But that's okay, because that is where this journey towards wholeness begins with our suffering. And, and one of the, the things that's sort of tricky about this, sort of challenging about this, is we don't think it's okay to be that honest about how much we hurt. We think it's unspiritual. We feel like there's a big editor that's just going to whack us. We feel like we ought to get over it. But David starts with very raw language. And these are not, no, nobody I know, when you ask them, what's your life verse? Psalm 13, 1. I mean, how many bumper stickers have Psalm 13, 1 on it? Lord, have you forgotten me again? You know, we don't, we don't like to sit in those places. But this is part of where the healing begins, with being painfully, brutally honest with what you feel and how frustrated you are. And, and I would say that you have to experience the pain before you can experience the healing. It doesn't mean that you live in pain all the time. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you really want to work through an unresolved issue... There has to be an acknowledgement of the pain, an experience of the pain. And most of the time that takes another brother or sister to help open up your heart to it. The deeper you taste the pain, the further you'll go towards healing. And so if you, if you take me up on this Lenten challenge, the first step would be to protest. And nobody needs to see this. It's amazing. We all have this editor in the back of our head. And, and, and I was talking to uh, uh, somebody today about the journal, and because I was going to quote something from it, and later in the series, and they said, "Just be careful what you read out of there. <laughs> you know that you're the only other one that would see it." My journal's the same way. Matter of fact, I took a box of all my journals uh, to the dump. Twenty-five years of journaling because it's too raw. I don't want anybody to see it. It's between me and God. 
And if I'm always writing with, with looking over the back of my, my head at what might happen if somebody read it, I couldn't really lament. So we, we need to be honest and unfiltered in the way we approach this. So where do you need to lament this Lent? Do you have unresolved losses? Pay attention to your fears and anxieties. A lot of times those are clues about what your unresolved losses are. Also, pay attention to your dreams. Your dreams often reveal to you unresolved issues in your life. You might keep a little journal or notepad. I know it's hard to remember dreams, but you might write them up as you uh, uh, wake up in the morning. Maybe there's a particular person that you need to lament over. Or, or maybe, and I think many of you might be here, and this might be pretty powerful for us, if at some point you ever do feel you want to share this, you certainly could, you may be called to lament over a particular injustice and, and, and write about it. The, the African American church uh, does this much more powerfully than, than uh, uh, we tend to. The African-American poet Walter Everett Hawkins wrote a lament in the 20s when lynching was thriving in the South. And he wrote an ironic poem that contrasted the lynching of Christ with the lynching of some of his friends. They bound him fast and strung him high. They cut him down lest he should die. Before their energy was spent in torturing to their heart's content. They tore his flesh and broke his bones and laughed in triumph at his groans. They chopped his fingers, clipped his ears, and passed them round as souvenirs. This comes out of a chapter I was reading about how the African-American church used lament to work through their suffering. And if you get our newsletter, if you're part of our community, please sign up for that because that's how we talk to you about what's going on. There's, I saw two announcements this week that were essentially inviting you to join in, in, a, in a lament. Uh, Jane Bullington invites us to lament the deaths of the unborn through abortion this Lent. Callie Broom invites us to lament the victims of sex trafficking in our community. Uh, lamenting for social justice can be... A powerful form of prayer. Well, the second movement of lament is petition. And I don't want to give the impression that you should be able to work through this as quickly as it takes to read six verses. I don't know. I suspect either David wrote a psalm like this over time, or he looked back and, and wrote about it. Normally, this doesn't happen quickly, and I, I think we need to give each other permission. You may stay in protest for a couple of years. Now, on the other hand, some of us find our identity in being hurt. Some of us sort of find a sick, sort of uh, idolatrous, adulterous connection with pain. And we wouldn't know what to do if we were healthy. <laughs> We've gotten so used to being sick. So that's not what I'm saying. The goal is to move 
from protest to petition to praise. But you need to give yourself permission to stay in protest. I do think this is why community is so important as we do these things out, uh, that, that, that someone can carefully kind of help you see whether or not you genuinely need to stay in a protest for a while longer, or uh, maybe you need to start, maybe you've clung to that pain as your identity for too long. So the second movement of lament is petition, simple prayer, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. The first thing I notice about that is David is not whistling in the dark, he prays to O Lord, my Lord. David knows God's there, even though he can't feel him. And he's real simple. He says, consider me, answer me. Some of the best prayers when we're suffering are the simplest prayers. Light up my eyes, he says. That was a biblical metaphor for renew me spiritually and and physically, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Now, 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 sometimes... The psalmist will exaggerate, as we all do when we're in pain. But he may literally have been facing a sickness that could take his life. He may have been so discouraged that he wanted to take his life. He may have been suicidal. He may have been in so much pain, he just wished it was over. Sometimes even God's people get to that point. And his enemy is still threatening him. And, and so he just responds by asking for his daily bread. Very simple prayers. I think for us it might look like, Lord, heal my marriage. Lord, keep my father from descending into another depression. Lord, heal his cancer. This is the second movement. And, and of course, it's less linear than circular, right? We're going to go in and out of these phases. It's not going to be a perfect, like on Monday you protest, on Tuesday you petition. But when you get to the point where you can petition, you, you do it with simple, direct prayers. You ask for your daily bread. What do you need? He's your father, Luke says that uh, he, he loves you and he's going to not give you a stone. Ask him for what you need. That's what kids do. Well, the third movement of lament is praise. But, David says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Usually the shift to the third movement in the Lament Psalms, not always, but usually it is marked by the word but. And essentially the psalmist begins, I am suffering, please deliver me, but I will trust you no matter what happens. That's the outline of the lament psalms. The Hebrew word for, for but is, is actually a, a little, just a skinny little line with kind of a flag on it. 
and there's a name for it. It's called a, a vol adversative. And uh, why, why would I bother telling you that? Um, well, because uh, when you slog through Hebrew grammar uh, in seminary, one of the things they tell you is that there is a bigger idea at work when you see that little line with a flag on it in the Scripture. Uh, it marks a shift in thinking, uh, a mysterious change of mind in the heart of the lamenter. What, what's happening is when you see this but, this, this little line in Hebrew, it, it says that the lamenter is about to cross over the line from focusing on his own pain to focusing on God. So it's very, very significant, that, that line. But it's so hard to get there, isn't it? It's so hard to move to, but I trust you. It's so easy to get stuck in, how long? Where are you? Why won't you? So how do we make the transition? How do we get from acknowledging our suffering and praying for it? How do we get from there to, but I trust you? One of the things that we notice in all these psalms, the circumstances are never different by the end of the psalm. But the guy praying it, the gal praying it is different by the end of the psalm. His heart is different. How do we get there? Well, there's a couple of clues. David says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. What's he saying? And again, this didn't happen in five minutes. This happened in maybe five years. He is saying that on my journey back to you, God, I have looked back over my life and I have seen how faithful you have been time and time and time and time again. I've gone back and I've remembered how you've cared for me. And then he says, I shall, future tense, I will rejoice in your salvation. And that's the move, is that he's able to go back and see that God has been faithful to him and then move forward towards trust based on his past experience of faithfulness. And I think if truth were told, this dance between verse 5 and verse 4 probably goes on over and over again our whole lives. On Ash Wednesday, it was a special day. The, the beauty of doing it three times is I get to repent more than you do. Um, and I had time to think and ask myself, you know, three times I put a card into the little bowl. What do I want to lament of this year? And, uh, and, and by the end of the night, by the end of the third service, it, it was it was clear to me that what I need to lament of this year is death. Um, my own mortality and the mortality of people I care about. And if, if you were there on Ash Wednesday, I just shared there's a lot of suffering, a lot of very serious illness uh, around my family right now. 
And it just bothers me. It just really bothers me. Steve's cancer bothers me. It just bothers me. And every Lynn, I try to go out to the, the monastery for a retreat. Last year, I was out at the monastery, and I, I, uh, I found an old monk. He was 77. And I said, can I sit down with you a little bit? And we talked about a lot of different different things. Um, at, at the end of the time, I, I said, uh, Brother, how do, you, how do you deal with death? Because one of the things I noticed about the monks is they die well. The monks do death very well. There's a, there's a great peace about them and their dying. Could be the food. And, and, I, and I said uh, to this brother, I said, how do you think about dying? And he said, I suppose it's the last act of surrender. And what he was saying was he'd moved to but God. I don't want to die. I don't want my friends to die. I don't want my wife to die. I don't want my kids to die. I don't want my dad to die. I don't even want my dog to die. My, die, my dog's old. Today I was squirching his head while I was out. I just thought, oh boy, he's slowing way down. I don't even want my dog to die. But death is the ultimate act of surrender. So one of the things that I have to work through this Lent is moving to the place of acceptance and embracing my own death. Maybe I'll start with my dogs. Well, I was thinking about this driving in, and I called Dwight and Dwight Tarwater, whose wife died last Christmas Eve or had a heart attack last Christmas Eve. And when we dedicated the chapel in her name last week, um, Dwight bought this black book. And I'd ask him to share a few words. And what he did is he just started to read the prayers that he prayed, the prayers that he prayed uh, the night she died, the, the prayers that he prayed three days later. And I thought of that all week. I just thought, this is a godly man lamenting and moving through his grief towards God and being honest as he could be about it but refusing to get stuck. And I'll just read. Uh, I asked him if I could do this, just one, one line from deeper into the grief process for him. And this is a journal in, entry, and he said, uh, quote, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper your end and not to harm you, plans to give you hope. And a future, Jeremiah 29.11. You see, see where he started? He's in verse 5. I have trusted in the Lord. He's going back and remembering the character of the Lord that has sustained him all of his life. And then Dwight says, Lord, as I begin this year, I give thanks for you that you never left me. I trust I might be worthy of your plans for me. I pray for hope. I pray for my future. I pray to seek you with an open mind and an open heart. 
I pray to renew my mind and trust with all my might that I'd be transformed in you. I pray that my life is pleasing to you, and I pray to seek you first. I just thought, there is how a godly man laments. And I've heard him go through all three phases. He said, we could read whatever we want. I'm not going to read anymore, but you'll see a lot of protest. A lot of protest. Particularly in those first months. You'll see a lot of prayer. And now you're starting to see a lot of praise. That's how we move through lament. Let's pray.